With the elections drawing near, China is ramping up its political interference. A Thai interview featuring Foreign Minister Joseph Wu was removed online last week after China's embassy in Thailand lodged a protest. On Monday, Wu blasted Beijing for its pressure campaign against Taiwan. At the upcoming Biden-Xi summit, the issue of Chinese meddling is expected to loom large. U.S. President Joe Biden plans to meet Chinese leader Xi Jinping this Wednesday in San Francisco. Biden is expected to express concern over Chinese interference in Taiwan's elections. According to DPP presidential candidate Lai Qingde, this concern has three main implications. To protect Taiwan's hard-won democracy, the international community hopes that the next president will be determined by the free will of the Taiwanese people. They want the people to choose a candidate who can best protect the rights and interests of the Republic of China, Taiwan. Lai said the U.S. wants Taiwan to elect a president who can defend national interests. He said the U.S. does not want a pro-China regime. The U.S. is of course opposed to a pro-China government in Taiwan. If the authority in Taiwan were pro-China, not only would that be bad for Taiwan's future development, but it could also harm Taiwan's democratic constitutional system. It would have a significant impact on the stability of the Indo-Pacific region. Under President Tsai Ing-wen's leadership, Taiwan has been seen and affirmed and supported by the international community. Of course, the international community doesn't want Taiwan to regress. China's interference happens all the time. I don't think we should allow Chinese interference to affect whether we speak out in the international community. Last week, a Thai TV station's YouTube channel removed an interview with Foreign Minister Joseph Wu following a complaint from China. In response, Wu said that Chinese pressure on Taiwan was a constant. As Taiwan's elections draw closer, China is ramping up its interference with tactics like poll manipulation and diplomatic pressure. According to the DPP's Legislative Caucus, a major vehicle of interference is the Association of Taiwan Investment Enterprises on the mainland, which is managed by China's Taiwan Affairs Office. The DPP called out KMT lawmaker Hong Mong Kai, whose parents are prominent members of the Taiwanese Business Association. Hong Xiyao is the founding deputy secretary general of this important United Front organization of China. He also undertakes important election work in Taiwan. I ask legislator Hong Mongkai, do you embrace the pro-unification statements and mission of the Association of Taiwan Investment Enterprises on the mainland? DPP legislative candidate He Bo-wen demanded that the younger Hong clarify his stance. In response, Hong said that Taiwan has an anti-infiltration act and a national security act. If the DPP believes he violated either, he said, it's welcome to take legal action. The KMT and Taiwan's People Party, will they or won't they fill the joint ticket? The answer could be close at hand. The TPP's Koenja says that time is running out and that he wants to make his decision in one or two days. I think that time's almost up and we can't delay any longer. We need to resolve this within the next one or two days. As for the weighting of the polls, I think that there's room for further discussion. This is the first time we're trying to achieve this cross-party partnership. That's why we proposed such comparisons. There's also the question of how much weight each poll should get, and that's currently under discussion. According to a KMT source, talks are still at a deadlock. The source says the KMT has offered a final compromise 
It wants to decide the presidential candidate using two polls, a national poll on Ho versus Ke, which gets 60% weighting, and a poll on the KMT versus the TPP, which gets 40%. When asked about this so-called final compromise on Monday, KMT Chair Eric Chu wouldn't say it was the bottom line. Instead, he emphasized that the two sides were still in the negotiation stage. Vietnam is in talks with National Taiwan University on training semiconductor talent. The country aims to produce 50,000 semiconductor engineers by 2030 to pave the way for its domestic chip industry. After reaching a partnership deal with the University of Arizona, Vietnam has also reached out to NTU. Actually, National Taiwan University has many important sister schools in Vietnam. We're very eager to work with these important sister schools at the bachelor's, master's and doctoral levels. Malaysia currently already has a basic supply chain for semiconductors. Malaysia's supply chain is mainly supported by Singapore and U.S. semiconductor companies. So Malaysia and Vietnam are set to become two major semiconductor hubs of Southeast Asia. Taiwanese companies can't fall behind here. Otherwise, amid global competition, if we aren't able to keep up, then we will be replaced in the market. In related news, National Taiwan University is planning a new undergraduate semiconductor program that starts enrollment as early as next year. The program will recruit 50 to 60 students each year focusing on international students. Its goal will to, be, will to bring global semiconductor talent to Taiwan and retain them long term. The program is currently under review by the Ministry of Education. The 2023 Taipei International Startup Festival has kicked off. Until December 2nd, the event will hold a series of activities including forums, workshops and talks. The inaugural forum gave startups ideas on how to harness artificial intelligence to accelerate their growth. At the 2023 Taipei International Startup Festival, the first to speak was Ed Yeager, the Director of Trade and Investment at the Taipei Canadian Trade Offices. Yeager discussed the factors that led Canadian AI startups to success and how AI startup teams can expand into the global market through international accelerators. He said one key to success was Canada's global innovation clusters. The tool that the Canadian government has adopted in recent years to really focus in on key uh, sectors is something called the Global Innovation Cluster. And in fact, we have set up five different entities that are a mixture of private sector, public sector, uh, academia, to work together to generate in their clusters excitement and innovation. Another key to success is establishment of the Canadian Technology Accelerator, which opened a branch in Taipei four years ago. Taipei was opened four years ago and proved to be one of our best technology accelerators. And as a result of these accelerators, they're supporting a whole bunch of companies, they're raising new capital, they're generating revenue, um, over a thousand new partnerships created, and we can attribute at least 3,000 new jobs to this uh, work that we're doing in these accelerators. And find more crucial partners. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome him. 
Peter Wu, president of Taiwan Web Service Corporation, shared his insights on international collaboration for startups and the robust AI 2.0 resources available in Taipei. Wu praised Taiwan's AI computing power. In Taiwan, we have a very unique resources. It's AI computing power that we are ahead of many Asian countries, even for Singapore, Japan, that we are unique here. But that's because uh, our government invested this AI supercomputer many years ago. Uh, Taiwan is unique for generating AI, and ASUS is very unique because we are upgrading computing power. Taipei Mayor Jiang Wan'an touted how the city government has been promoting policies to create a friendly environment for startups. This year, Taipei City has utilized a lot of open data to use in U-Bikes transport model. Moving forward, Taipei is committed to building a founder-friendly city, an entrepreneur-friendly city, and an AI-driven smart city. Over the next few weeks, there will be a series of talks, demo show, and a maker fair to further accelerate the international expansion of Taiwanese startups. The festival hopes to provide entrepreneurs with a platform to network, showcase their work, and learn about the new trends to better shine on the international stage. The festival will be on until December 2nd. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang and Zhen Chen Luo in Taipei. The Taipei City government has granted food hygiene certification marks to 126 businesses. The businesses are concentrated in the Yongkang Street and Xingbeitou commercial districts, two hotspots for foreign tourists. This year, the city updated its certification mark, which now includes the Japanese and Korean languages, in addition to Chinese and English. Tourist arrivals have been on the rise since the end of the pandemic. Yongkang Street is a must-visit with its freshly made dumplings, beef noodles and ice treats. Xinbeitou is also a popular destination. In 2015, Taipei launched the hygiene rating system for food service. At an award ceremony on Monday, 126 vendors in Yongkang and Xinbeitou were granted an excellent or good rating for 2023. Getting the food certified can help build trust regarding the source of the ingredients, their storage and delivery and so on. The certification mainly concerns the management of staff, ingredients and equipment, offering guidance and evaluations. By earning the certification, businesses can show the public that there are food safety controls and that these controls are conducted jointly by food vendors and the government. Taiwan is set to host the 2025 Summer World Masters Games. Athletes from all around the world will converge in Taiwan and, of course, try the local food. With that in mind, the Taipei Department of Health updated its certification mark. Now it features not just Chinese and English, but Japanese and Korean as well, to enhance accessibility for international tourists. We chose vendors in commercial districts due to the rise of international tourists in the post-pandemic era and because of the 2025 Summer World Masters Games. The marks are in Japanese, Korean and English so that international tourists can understand them easily. Vendors that obtain certification must be reassessed every two years to make sure standards are maintained. The program is aimed at boosting the competitiveness of commercial districts while enhancing hygiene in the food service industry. 
Taiwan is reassessing its duty-free allowance for incoming travelers. Currently, people entering Taiwan can carry up to 20,000 NT in goods. Anything above that is subject to customs tax. Officials say the cap was set more than 30 years ago and does not factor in today's incomes and consumer prices. The Ministry of Finance is considering raising the allowance potentially to a range between 30,000 and 40,000 NT. Departing travelers wait in line for security screening. In the post-pandemic era, Taiwanese are flocking abroad during holidays, seizing the chance for retail therapy. But they have to watch out when returning to not exceed the duty-free allowance of 20,000 NT. 20,000 NT is too low. Now that the new Taiwan dollar is depreciating, what can you buy with 20,000 NT? If you buy a luxury good, you'll go over. A watch or a bag would exceed that. Travelers say the 20,000 NT allowance is meager and too easily exceeded. Responding to a call from a lawmaker, the finance ministry is considering raising the limit to 30,000 or 40,000 NT. That means the allowance might be doubled. The limit was set in 1989 and it hasn't been reevaluated in 30 years. The price of goods abroad has gone up and so has the average income in Taiwan. Japan and South Korea also increased their own allowances. Referencing neighboring nations, the official said South Korea sets its limit at 800 US dollars, or about 26,000 NT. Japan has increased its allowance to 200,000 yen, or about 43,000 NT. 20,000 NT is indeed too low. If you buy anything, for example, if you buy electronics in Japan, you'll probably exceed 20,000 NT. I wish the cap were a little higher. I think a cap of about 30,000 or 40,000 NT would be closer to the level for buying things abroad. 30,000 or 40,000 NT seems about right. After all, that's close to how much the average person's credit card limit is. Before the pandemic, Taiwan had some 15 million international departures every year. With tourism recovering post-pandemic, Taiwan saw 8.42 million departures from January to September this year. With 10 million departures expected by year's end, customs rules have become a hotly debated issue. A horse named Xiaomage has become a popular sight in Taichung of late as his owner takes him on rides around town. One day recently, his owner took him through the drive-thru at a fast-food restaurant for a midnight snack, leading to exclamations of delight from the staff. In the drive-thru of a fast-food restaurant, a man rides up on a horse. The horse Xiaomage likes to brush his snout against the employees, making them laugh every time. But is riding a horse on the road legal? According to current regulations, if the pair obstructs traffic, the rider could be fined between 300 and 600 NT. I've never been fined because he's very good in this area, in Taichung. He's like the city's goodwill ambassador. Li Hongming has raised horses since he was nine years old. He now has two, Xiao Ma Ge and Xiao La Jiao. These alfalfa blocks are high in fiber and protein, making a wonderful snack for a horse. 
Brushing is also important, as it not only keeps the horse's hair clean, but also acts as a massage. Bathing provides a chance to inspect a horse's health. Afterward, the excess water is scraped off and the horse must be hitched and left to air dry for about an hour. Since I started riding at nine years old, I have a deep affection for horses like I would for family. In addition to being a horse fanatic, 58-year-old Lee is also a kendo instructor. After starting to train at the age of 10, Lee has now achieved 7th Dan and also serves as chair of the Republic of China Kendo Association. Lee works hard to promote kendo, but when he's not offering courses at his own dojo, he likes to go horseback riding, adding a special touch to Taichung's scenery. Vets are urging pet owners to arrange annual health checks for their furry friends. The call comes as animal ownership soars, with pet-related sales reaching 34.7 billion NT last year. Vets say that big savings can be made in medical bills if pets get routine screenings to catch potential problems. They say cats and dogs don't tend to show symptoms until they've reached the late stages of a disease. A four-year-old pug sits patiently as a vet checks its heart, lungs, and lymph nodes. Then it gets an x-ray and an abdominal ultrasound. Devoted pet parents know the importance of yearly health screenings. The health check is basically blood work. It costs 3,000 to 5,000 NT per pet, so for our three dogs, that's over 10,000 NT a year. Recently, we've been thinking about pet insurance to offset costs. After we adopted this one, we found a tumor on its paw. The cost of surgery to remove it was around 10,000 NT. Then, because it had cryptokitism, we had to pay another 10,000 NT. The trouble was getting blood transfusions. That cost is quite considerable. Big dogs need a lot of blood, and one bag costs 30,000 or 40,000 NT. Ms. Ko's family believes that with three large dogs, the medical bills will pile up as they age. Through routine health screenings and pet insurance, the family hopes to bring costs down. Heartworm medication costs 700 NT, but it's more affordable than treating disease. Illnesses like lymphoma can cost tens of thousands of dollars to treat, which means early prevention is key. The main companion animals are cats and dogs. They are carnivores with a high tolerance for pain. So when they start to appear sick, when they start showing symptoms, that's when the disease is already in its late stages. So we recommend regular health checks for these animals. That's how you can catch issues early on. To keep their companions healthy, pet parents are happily shelling out for checkups. After all, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure.